Ron and Anian. I kept the Volkswagen on the road this week. I'm not sure if that's legitimate. They might drum me out of the union. What a car. You get that thing doing 55 miles an hour. You turn the radio on, you drop down to 45. <laughs> The car doctor, the pass lock sensor, the signal out of the ignition switch isn't being received by the body module, allowing the vehicle to crank and go into enable. Sometimes it does say security. Right. Well, there you go. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. I'm thinking of doing a new segment. Hello and welcome. Ron and in the car doctor here at 855-560-9900 to take, answer your calls, solve your problems, and make you feel better about your automobile. I'm thinking about doing a new segment. We're going to call it, and it's development in my mind. I haven't fully brought it to the forefront yet. It's kind of crowded up there. Car Doctor Confessional, right? What do you think, Tom? We'll do a car doctor. And here's here's the premise for this, all right? I had two business dinners. You know, when I say business dinners, my guys at different dealerships, uh, two service managers, one at this one, one at that one. And we sat down two different nights of the week this past week, and I listened to them. And it's amazing. You know, you think the dealer is the house of perfection, and it's not. It's They've got their problems, too. And it, it, it's what I always say. A repair shop is clearly only as good as the people in it. It doesn't matter what sign is over the door. And in one case, as I listened to, to T, and I'll, I'll use his first initial for reasons of anonymity. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. And gee, he's got a lot on his plate. He really does, and I feel for him. He's um he's got to manage a lot of people. He's got a lot of people to answer to. And I'm not just talking about the cars that he attempts to fix, that he fixes, that he has to service and repair with all the crazy complaints and problems, but. I'm talking about, you know, he's got almost 40 employees in his department alone that he has to manage. And you sit there and you say to yourself, wow, sometimes being, you know, three, four guys, two and a half guys is um, is okay. I, I kind of get that. It's a little easier on you. So we might do a thing, Car Doctor Confessional, where I could, because I started taking notes. I'm going to start writing things down when I go to these 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 um, dinners and you know it's not business it's just casual hey how was your summer how's this going how's that going that kind of a thing it's it's more like a therapy group and uh, it's interesting some of the things you hear I, I was telling T about this Acura and this is really where I wanted to start the show today remember last week we started off this hour talking about air conditioning and how hard it is to diagnose air conditioning and you know, air conditioning is a tough deal, right? Where do you start? The customer comes in, says the air conditioning is not blowing cold. What do I do? And you, know, you got to diagnose it. Okay, well, is it low on refrigerant? Is it electrical? Is it mechanical? Is it a code problem? Is it a sensor issue? And listen, you can go back to the podcast, cardoctorshow.com, listen to last week's open. You'll hear the same deal. I don't want to cover the same ground. Because the point of this is air conditioning, it seems, every repair just when you think you've learned, hey, this is how it can fail, <laughs> they come up with another way for it to fail. 
Air conditioning is a lot like snowflakes. It's There's no two alike. Uh, it's like kids. There's no two alike. They're all different. 2005 Acura came into the shop this week for air conditioning service and changed the oil and look it over and general stuff. Needed four tires. We did some tires. We did an oil change. We did some other service work. And the last thing on the list was, we're going on a trip. Can you just check the air conditioning? We want to make sure it's it's ready to go to North Carolina. Yeah, no problem. That's you know that's what we'll do. And it really wasn't really working well. It, it it was struggling to keep the car below seventy degrees. To be honest with you, it really didn't do a whole heck of a lot. So even though the compressor was on and looking at system pressure, I'm saying, well, it's got to be low on charge. Let me go through the routine. You hear me talk about it all the time. Let's go through the routine and 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 do the things that I normally do to make sure that I've covered the bases. And uh, third or fourth step down in that in that diagnostic chart for air conditioning, I got around to hooking up the gauges. It was low pressure. Okay, let's recover. Took six ounces out of a 26-ounce system. Well, there you go. There's the first problem. So simple as pie, right? Hey, you need an AC service. That's all it could be. And I'm telling this story to T, and his jaw hit the ground when I told him the next part. So there I was. And I'm, I'm like three-quarters of the way through it, and I'm almost done, and I have to take the high side hose off. And I take the high side hose off, and the valve is stuck. So all the refrigerant that I just pumped in is now trying to escape and become free willy out in the atmosphere. Free willy! Uh-uh. Clamp the hose back on, and I'm thinking about this. Now, the Schrader valve is stuck. I can't take the hose off to take the Schrader out, so guess what I have to do? I have to recover all the refrigerant that I just put in, start all over again, recover all the refrigerant, make sure the system's empty, go to take the Schrader out. When I go to take the Schrader out, which is the service port, just like a valve stem or a Schrader valve inside of a tire valve stem, like you have on the car or the tube or what have you, the stem will unscrew, but it won't come out. It's it's restricted either, either by design or just the way this was worn over the years, that it won't it won't remove itself. Now it's four thirty. Uh oh, customers coming. Ten to five, five o'clock. They'll be here. Now we're in trouble. Now what do we do? And two things. All right. Like in the words of Winston Churchill, who uh, said, right, he was walking around the Blitzkrieg after the Germans bombed London, and his comments were, "Stay calm and carry on." That's the mantra at the shop now, and I try to repeat that to myself. I have to repeat that to myself quite often some days, but. I was stay calm and carry on. I called the customer. They were gracious enough to say, hey, we'll leave the car overnight because I didn't want to rush through this. And I ended up snugging the valve. I loosened it up. I put a drop of refrigerant oil in it because I'm thinking maybe there's some debris on there. Maybe I can wash it off. And maybe it just needs to be reseated. I put a drop of refrigerant oil on the Schrader, screwed it in, screwed it out, screwed it in, screwed it out, screwed it in, left it in, recovered the system, and charged it and took the high side off and it worked fine look at that huh i fixed something this is where this is where t's jaw hit the ground then i took the low side hose off that one was leaking so i had to go through the whole thing all over again hoping and praying that at least i could get the low side schrader out because i'm thinking the oil drop trick can't work twice on the same vehicle and sure enough, I was lucky. Got it all out, took the Schrader out. I was able to change that one, put a new Schrader in, charged it up, done, bang, zoom. Finally got out of work that night, 6 o'clock. The bottom line is, sometimes 
you've got to exercise the ghosts out of the machine. And there are ghosts in the machine, and you don't know how haunted that vehicle is, regardless of whether or not you've worked on it. It's the luck of the draw. And T understood that. And I'm not sure who got more therapy from our dinner that night, him or I. I know I enjoyed it immensely. And I know in our closing conversation we were all talking about, well, he was telling me about a blogger that he reads on a daily basis for, let's say, spiritual reconnection back to earth after dealing with cars and people all day long. And I started reading that same blogger, and Seth Grodin, by the way. And um, it's interesting to see, you know, that it doesn't matter the size of the shop. Everybody really kind of goes through the same stuff because the cars seem to be the pivotal point at which anything can and usually does happen. Hello and welcome. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. I'm here at 855-560-9900. That's 855-560-9900. That's the Car Doctor's toll-free number to call in and ask a question about your car, your repair process, or whatever it is you're thinking of uh, possibly changing on your vehicle, or maybe you're thinking of going out and buying a new car next week. Let's talk about it, 855-560-9900. And without any further ado, let's pull over and take a pause. When the Car Doctor returns, we'll open the garage doors. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Ron and Indy and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. More information about this radio show out at cardoctorshow.com. You'll find an affiliate list there. There's iHeart.com. There's iTunes.com. All sorts of ways to subscribe to this radio show via podcast. But the phone number is 855-560-9900. Very, very important. Write it down. Give us a call. And keep in mind, that is a 24-7 number. If the show's not on the air in your local market, you can call, leave a message, and we will get back to you and get you in queue here to talk to you on air, 855-560-9900. Real quick, before I get open the phones up, I want to just mention regarding the AC conversation we just had in that previous segment that one last tip or one last really great use for refrigerant oil, air conditioning refrigerant oil, is put a drop on the threads of the cap just enough to wet it, give it a taste. And when you screw the cap on, the cap will screw on just a little bit tighter. And if you've got a Schrader that's seepy or leaking, that oil will help form a bond and quite possibly slow down that slow leak to an almost no leak. And I've had some very good luck doing that as well. And you can check that as always, uh, either leak detector or the good old-fashioned way, just some soapy water out of a spray bottle. But keep that in mind, too. Just put a drop of oil on your AC caps after you're done servicing the system, and it'll help get those on there really good and tight. Let's get over to the phones and talk to Robert, Springfield, Illinois, and some questions about a BMW. Robert, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Well, a couple quick questions, and I won't keep you up. Really appreciate your program. You guys do great work. Thank you. Uh, I'm presently driving a 330i BMW, and I'm thinking about driving the wheels off of it. However, I'm looking at and actually made an offer on the X1, my concerns are the little four-cylinder engine, I wonder how reliable it is. And secondly, I like to drive about 80 miles an hour when I'm on the open road, and I don't know if a four-cylinder engine can do that. So okay. what do you think? In no particular order, it'll do that. 
the question is, and and you know, from a reliability pers- uh, perspective, it's it's the reliability factor is only affected by how much maintenance you're willing to do. Now, if you want to follow factory recommended maintenance, eh, you'll probably get through the warranty period without any problem, and that's where it might end. And that's just something to be mindful of. You know, I'm noticing a trend lately, Robert, in that so many car companies are calling for. We'll 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 pick on the number one peeve I have. They're they're extending or they have been extending oil drain intervals. And have you noticed this started probably six seven years ago? I did indeed. And, and, it went from three to ten, and now to fifteen k on that right. car. Right, and and like BMW, for example, two or three years ago, cut those oil change intervals back to ten. They went from fifteen to ten. Gee, do you think they see a problem? But it's yeah. it's it, it's not just BMW. Toyota's got a problem. Honda's got a problem. Subaru's got a problem. They've all got issues. And one of the things I'm hearing consistent from every dealer and every tech. And every service manager, and you got to imagine, I know a few, is they're all telling me the same thing. The extended oil drain intervals are creating varnish problems and clogging the oil rings, causing them to either stick or be restricted, and they can't provide proper oil control, and it's helping increase the probability of oil consumption. So for everybody out there that says, hey, Ron, you're nuts. I wanna, I'm just continuing to do my oil drain interval the way I am. Hey, that's great. My opinion, you're rolling the dice. I still stand by my original conversation. Conventional oil every three to four thousand. Synthetic oil every five to six. And okay, cool. I, I, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm doing an oil change every seven on my uh, BMW. But you've just convinced me I should do it more often. And and I'll tell you what. Regardless of what you're using, now that's a BMW. If I'm not mistaken, BMW. Uh, what brand is BMW recommending? I couldn't tell you offhand, but I think what the guys at the shop were using was a Mobile One. Yep, and and nothing wrong there, but I think there's something better if you get over and take a look at Motor Oil Reimagined and take a look at Pennzoil. Pennzoil, yeah. And, and the reason I like the Pennzoil better than Mobile One or anybody else right now is because the Pennzoil comes from a cleaner base stock. It's a natural, a natural gas derivative base stock oil, and they create the synthetic from that. And if you start pure... You end pure, and the logic is there. Not to mention the Pennzoil has a better rating for taking the heat on a twin-turbo four-cylinder or the car you're driving. Heat's what it's all about, Robert. That's what's going to cause that, that engine to be a problem. I hear, well, then, one final question. Do you have yes, a recommendation on a similar vehicle? Um, you know, there's so many out there. I always tell everybody, find something you like and come back to me. Give me two choices. Give me three choices, and we can talk about the pros and cons. Because I can go through a half a dozen in my head, and it may not be something that fits your build, your need, your want, your desire. I think when you're buying a vehicle of that caliber, it's an emotional decision. I really do, and I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not one to be emotional when it comes time to buying a car. I think it's all about. Um, I think it's all about you know form and fit and function. But you know, it's got to turn your blood a little bit and and get you to boil. Because, you know, life life's about the ride. you got to enjoy it while you can. I got you, buddy. Hey, thanks right. again. Appreciate taking on call. You're welcome, Robert. You take good care, and you have a good rest of the day. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about the ride uh, when you're dealing with cars. And I think it's that emotional question about, you know, how do you want to deal with this and uh, what do you want to ride around in. Received a really great email. By the way, maybe we can sneak this in before the break. Um, received an email from my friend Bob. Bob owns a couple of radio stations up in New England. 
and he had a question for me. He's got a problem with the ABS, the ABS lights on. And, um, you know, he takes it into the dealer. He's asking me questions, and I'm saying, well, I'm sorry, not ABS, airbag. And he had an airbag problem, and we were talking about it. And I said, well, you know, can you give me an exact fault code? And he couldn't because his mechanic it was outside the dealership, couldn't get him a proper code, I guess either tooling or, or whatever, his scan tool wouldn't communicate. So he ended up taking it to the dealer. The dealer ended up putting a fuse in it, charged him $100. I understand that. You know, replacing fuses today is not that simple. It's not that easy a task, and it takes a little bit of effort. In a lot of cases, there could be three to four different fuse boxes on a vehicle today, and each fuse box can hold anywhere from 10 to 35 fuses. Start adding up the electrical circuits that are in a car. It gets to be quite daunting. What it turned out to be was Bob ended up buying a new camper to tow, and when he took it into the trailer hitch to get it put on, they decided that, well, you know, we can just take this fuse out of here because that's a spare fuse and put that there. And then the way he could wire up the trailer and use that for trailer lights. Well, it turns out that the fuse that the tech removed was the airbag fuse. And ever since, ever since, the car had a problem. So the $100 lesson, as Bob told me, was he said, always go back and cover the basics and just go over simple because usually that's what it turns out to be. And, and, and that really is the truth. You can always find a cause as to why something failed. It's just a matter of scratching at it. And when you sit there and you listen to me talk to people on air, if you were at the shop and you saw me dealing with diagnostics at the shop, you'd know that really what I'm doing is just talking to people about their problem and how can we make it work and get down to the root cause. I'm glad in Bob's case he was able to find out that it was only a fuse. Uh, Imagine if it was something more. Imagine if somebody didn't diagnose it, and this is where it really gets ugly, where, well, we we think it's this, and we'll just change this $1,200 module, and they find out that it's not. This week, we got snookered. We were working on a Toyota Camry with an air-fuel ratio heater fault, and it turns out that the air-fuel ratio uh, sensor that was in the car was bad. Put a new one in, still had the problem. Turns out there was a catalog error, and the wrong part was ordered and installed and it took a matter of got to put the right part in the car in order to make it work i can't tell you how many it was oh it must be a computer nah it's not a computer toyota computers don't fail like that so always look back at the basics ron any in the car doctor back right after this Welcome back. Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900. We're not going to take calls right now, though. We've got on the line with us our good friend, and always a pleasure to talk to him, Paul Eisenstein from the DetroitBureau.com. We thought we would get in touch with Paul, talk to him a little bit, have a midsummer repast here as we kind of recount what's been going on this summer. Paul, welcome back, sir. How are you today? Good to be with you, and congratulations, too. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we're just kind of rolling along, and... Uh, we've got New York again, and um, we're 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 even growing stronger. We picked up a couple more in New England, and uh, you know we're not going to be happy till we're in every state, every place, every possibility. So the march continues. How are the pussy cats? Let's start the conversation there. <laughs> oh, they're doing fine. We yeah. have uh, we have our favorite one out at the uh, at the cottage where you've reached me today. I think I told you about him, the one that actually. Uh, 
does commands, even uh, even high fives. Really? Uh, see, my cats, oh, yeah. my, my cats aren't that smart. My cats just know that it's it's morning or night. They know when it's dinner, and they come and get me and tell me feed me. Um, well, this one, this one, I think some dogs could take some tricks from. Uh, how many cats do you know that sit, stand, roll over, uh, high five, jump? Sounds, oh yeah, he's pretty cool. Sounds smarter than most politicians I know. Um, listen, <laughs> we won't uh, talk about debates. Yeah, right? well, you know, we could talk about debates, but this is a car show. Let's talk a little bit about hacking because that seems to be, you know, if we're going to talk about anything that was in the forefront of this summer. Boy, it's got to be the fact that your automobile can be hacked and taken over, or can it? What's the deal there, Paul? Yeah, let's not scare people by overstating the phenomenon, but it is a definite concern. I I would bet that a good portion of your audience now has a fair amount of car drive every day. Even if you've got a car five, six, eight years old, you probably have some level of infotainment equipment inside. And you know, w- when you look forward, what people are putting in there is just amazing. Uh, virtually every Chevrolet can be ordered with Wi-Fi. A Tesla has a computer screen that controls that screen's bigger than the one on my laptop computer. Uh, and, and on and on and on. You've got OnStar systems and, and related technologies. And, and what's concerning a lot of these cybersecurity experts is that all these technologies provide a potential way, and I'm going to stress the word potential way, to hack into the vehicle. And there's some folks out there who are trying to prove it's possible, and they're starting to show that if they put enough effort into it, they can get into a car and in some cases take control. And when they say take control, Paul, uh, take control to what level? I mean, they can't they can't take control of the steering. That's still a mechanical function. On uh, Well, on most cars, there is some electric steering vehicles out there that I've read about. I haven't seen any yet. Um, but with regard to, uh, you know, there's still that mechanical connection. But with regard to gas pedal, you know, that's definitely drive-by-wire. There's, um, right. there's there's drive by wire there. We haven't had brake by wire yet. Do you think? You no, know, we actually have though. That's been a problematic. If you remember, Mercedes brought it out a couple generations ago on the right. E class and pulled back on right. it because they had problems with it. Right. Uh, right. But but all these systems, even the mechanical systems now, have electric power controls. So for example. Um, you have electric brake force distribution systems that, that can affect how aggressively you brake and even potentially uh, make it difficult to brake. Uh, the new Infiniti Q50 can be ordered with a steer-by-wire system with only a backup mechanical link if the electronics fail. And you're seeing what vehicles coming out that will allow the computer on board the the autonomous computer to actually direct or take full control of the vehicle going forward. So is it possible for somebody to take over? Yeah, uh, increasingly. And what really got a lot of attention was when uh, a Wired magazine was published, an article was published, uh, what, about three weeks ago, uh, that showed how two cybersecurity experts, hackers, got in and actually took control of a Jeep Cherokee and forced it off the road. Wow. So let me ask you this question. This morning, and I forget where I saw it, I was reading an article that said in the next 20 years, and I realize this is 20 years down the line, the futurists are saying that you're going to see cars become guided objects. You're going to get in the car like you talk to your cell phone now, navigate to, and you'll just right. get in the car and say navigate to, and that car that that car will just navigate by 
self-driving, and take you yeah, where you need to go. what we're going to see is a series of steps on the way to, you know, sort of like that car in the old Woody Allen sleeper movie, where you just sort of plug in or speak a destination. Right. Uh, and in fact, Google is already working on vehicles out in California. You know, they have these prototypes, uh, and they plan to offer a version of that. Uh, now, I shouldn't say offer, but test a version of that within the next year or so, where there will be no steering wheel, no brake pedal, just an emergency on-off switch. Uh, but in terms of what the average person is likely to see, we'll see semi-autonomous vehicles starting in a matter of months. Uh, Tesla is already getting ready to roll out their, their pilot program, which would allow you to drive hands-free on a freeway, a well-marked freeway. Uh, by 2020, Nissan is claiming it'll have fully autonomous vehicles. So what that means is up for debate. And it's going to get better and better. If, if you're an advocate, it's going to be better and better. If you're not, well, run for shelter. Yeah. Well, uh, and, 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 and the danger is, what happens with hackers? Can they get control of these vehicles? Well, That's my, what worries people. And what worries me, when I, when I read these things, you know, the car that has no steering wheel, no way for the driver to control it. I'm now totally dependent upon the machine, and you know we all know there's ghosts in the machine. I'll use the line from my opening segment this uh, today about uh, where I was talking about a problem with the air conditioning system. There's ghosts in the machine that puts us at the mercy of the machine. It seems like we're setting ourselves up for failure. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I, I mean, I'm I wouldn't be comfortable with an absolutely fully autonomous vehicle yet. But it's interesting to note, uh, there's been a, a dozen or so accidents involving Google pilot vehicles, autonomous pilot vehicles. Every single one of them caused the driver. Uh, the majority of them, by the way, were rear-end accidents where people were texting or otherwise distracted and ran into the back. Right. Federal data says that 94% of all accidents, all crashes, are the result of driver error. Now, you're right, there's still 5 or 6%, and can the industry get so much better that they can take that down to a fraction of a percent? And, yeah, I don't, I don't know that answer, and I don't think anybody does right now. And the, and the concern... No, I, we don't. And, and, and the real issue here is, you know, we're all about... They're, they're, they, they claim they're steering us in this direction, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, for safety. They're trying to reduce fatalities on the road, but it seems like we're opening ourselves up to the possibility of creating more. Potentially. Now look at what's happened. From the, the early 70s, when we hit a peak of almost 50,000 people killed every year on U.S. highways, we're down to around 30,000. Now, I don't want to take that lightly. I was with the head of NHTSA just, uh, just a few weeks ago, and, and Mark Rosekin said, we should not just be uh, ignoring the fact, we should not tolerate, I think was his phrase, the idea of 30,000 people being killed every year on the highways. Uh, but much of, the, much of the decrease that we have seen has been from better technology. Uh, there's already a lot of evidence that shows that uh, collision avoidance, anti-lock brakes, stability control, electronic stability control, all those things are contributing to a rapid decline in crashes, injuries, deaths. And that's despite the fact that freeway speeds have gone up, and we have more people on the roads driving more miles every year. Right, right. I just, well, I'll tell you what, let me pull over, take a pause. i got a couple of more things we can talk about. We're talking with Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll both be back right after this. 
Welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900. We're going to return and talk to Paul Eisenstein, the DetroitBureau.com. Phone number again is 855-560-9900. Paul, I, I took a survey while we were on that break. Everybody, yeah. in the, everybody in the control room wants to turn in their driver's license and start walking. Um, <laughs> we're, we're all a little afraid of self-driving cars to the point that now just everybody's going to be in them. And I can't imagine, um, I can't fathom how this is going to work grand scale uh, coast to coast when some people are in 63 Cadillacs, which are two and a half Toyotas today, and some people are in little Toyotas and smaller, and you just wonder how safe of an environment are we creating? Um, from well, that is one of the big issues, trying to put as cars that have no technology on board, I mean, not even anti-lock brakes, uh, never mind the fact that so many drivers today aren't really skilled. But think about it this way. Uh, if, if you did do the technology right, you'd be you'd be talking about having eyes in every direction. How many times have you been on the freeway and had somebody nearly cut right in on you or come up behind you and forget to brake and so on? Right. And, and all this technology conceivably could help you see in all directions at once rather than just you know straight ahead or some other direction. Uh, i, I got to tell you, there's a lot of people out there who don't put a lot of effort into driving today. Oh. And I'd sort of like to have them have a little more automation in the car. Well, and and by I, the way, I'm not in any way advocating taking away everybody's driver's license. Oh, my God, you know me. We've been on. We've, right. I've had me on. You know, uh, to get yourself behind a high-performance car, a good sports car and the like. Uh, but there was an old friend of mine who used to be the head of BMW, a guy named Barrett Pischitzreader. And I asked him one time about the idea that BMW was actively talking about developing self-driving cars, yet being the company that brags at being, uh, of being the ultimate driving machine. And he said, look, when I'm coming to work in, in uh, Munich in the morning and the roads are just stop and go, stop and go, what fun is that for me to drive? I'd rather put it on autonomous let the car drive itself into the office, get some work done, or catch up on some sleep. And then in the evening when I go home, because I go home late, I can put the car on manual, and then I can have fun up into the, into the hills of the Alps. But, but what are the that car, makes sense. What are the car's companies going to do for ads? Because now it won't be this car is mechanically better. It's going to be my robot is smarter than your robot. Um, well, that's part of it. Uh, you, know. you would hope that it would also be about all the nice features in the car. And remember, people buy things besides just because cars are fast or powerful and what have you. So there's a lot of different things that, that uh, in fact, may become bigger selling points. Think of all the technology, all the fun things you can have in the car, all the great ways that the car is outfitted. Uh, you know, some people are talking about turning these vehicles into living rooms on wheels. You, you probably saw that Mercedes concept vehicle they introduced earlier this year uh, that basically turns into a mobile lounge. I thought they were mobile lounges already. I thought they well, were. Well, yeah, but you could even turn the car, you could turn the seats around and actually have everybody in the car face one another since you weren't worrying about driving. Wow. You know what? It's going to be interesting to see where the next couple of years takes us. Paul, as always, sir, uh, if the listeners want more information, the website again? VoteDetroitBureau.com. Right. And we've been, uh, we've been covering a lot on autonomous and on the hacking issues, so you'll find a lot of fresh stories up on the yeah, site no, we, we, we look at you guys every day, and it's, it's amazing how you stockpile and come up with the information. It's great. It's really good, solid stuff. 
and we enjoy reading Thank it you, each and every day. Hey, listen, we'll get together again in a couple of weeks. We'll talk more going into the fall and uh, take care of Good. the pussycats. Well, we'll have the uh, Frankfurt show coming up, and then Tokyo. We have Pebble Beach, so we've got a lot of stuff happening yep. in the next month and a half. All right, cool beans. I'll have Harry get a hold of you. Take good, good. care. Take good care, Paul. Enjoy the rest too. of the Congratulations day. Congratulations again. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Indian, the car doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900 this hour and all hours forthwith. I, I think about what Paul Eisenstein was saying, and I don't know. Are we ready for this? I think we're ready for this. And what is this industry going to look like, self-driving cars? And hackers notwithstanding and some of the other issues that can come up. But you wonder how will that affect all of us? I was having this conversation, and this seems to be a real hot topic of late, in that, so imagine an auto repair industry that doesn't look anything like it looks today. What will that look like? Will we be fixing cars? Will there be an independent repair shop? And, you know, it's funny. When you live in North Jersey, in in that proximity to New York City, there's a repair shop every stone's throw. You get west of the Mississippi, and there's less dealers and bigger independent repair shops because that's what the market grew. So the way this is going to look is going to make, in my opinion, everything more regional. It'll look different in New England and the Middle States than it will down south, than it will in various remote areas of the country. And you just wonder, how's that going to affect everything overall? Because keep in mind, the way we saw when General Motors uh, you know, tanked in 2008 and had to get bailed out and Chrysler, and the concern was, you know, the jobs that they would lose, but the, the, the jobs on the perimeter. So when the independent repair shops go away or they, they're, they're not what they are today, how many technicians are going to be gone that aren't buying sandwiches at the deli? How many snap-on tool trucks are we not going to need to bring tools to technicians that are no longer there? And what is that going to look like? And then where are we going to get all these cars serviced? And what will those cars look like? And will those self-driving cars be strictly electric cars? that need very little, and the industry will change, and how long will it take it for that change? 50 years, 100 years? What will the futurists say? Will they look back at this radio podcast that I'm doing right here, right now, this Saturday afternoon at at three minutes to the top of the hour, and they'll say, gee, look at this guy. What a jerk he was. Look what he was thinking. We didn't even come close to doing that because we went in this direction. You just don't know. You can't see the future, but I can tell you this that we better be careful and darn sure of what we're trying to do before we do it because I don't think we're capable of dealing with self-driving cars. Heck, you can't even give the average person a cell phone and ask them to control it and use it properly. And if they could do that, we wouldn't need self-driving cars because everybody would be paying more attention to their driving and what they're supposed to be doing in the first place. And then I want to know if we take away the ability and the need for people to drive. I'm getting a little off the line here. If we take away the, the, the need for people to drive, are they going to lose their critical thinking skills? Then again, have they lost that already? All because Ted Kennedy wanted a PCV valve put in a car in 1963 to help clean up the roads in Cape Cod from emission devices we came 
we come to self-driving cars. I don't know. We'll see where the future takes us. I know where I'm going. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. I'm going to pull over. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.